I'm Sarah Elizabeth Smith, and this is the Theosophia Podcast, a platform for women's voices and theology. Happy Easter, everyone, and congratulations to my Notre Dame women's basketball team on winning the national championship title last night. Catholics and Irish fans around the country are praising Jesus for multiple reasons this season. Today on the podcast, I'm speaking with my friend and colleague, Julia Nussbaum. She's a small-town farm girl raised in Illinois. She currently holds a position of event manager for Young People's Ministry and the United Methodist Church. She has a Master's of Theological Studies from Vanderbilt University and a Bachelor's in History and Religion from Augustana College. She lives in Milwaukee, where she's writing her first novel, She's also the founder of Her Story, an online blog that empowers women through storytelling. In today's episode, Julia shares about her upbringing in the church, her passion for social justice work, and finding the divine outside of the church. Welcome, Julia. Okay, well, remind me, Julia, where you grew up, Illinois, right? Yeah, I grew up in northern Illinois, very rural northern Illinois. I grew up on a farm. Oh, my gosh. I forgot that about you. Yeah. So, so I grew up, it was, uh, we lived like 100 miles outside of Chicago. Okay. Um, but yeah, it was very rural. Like you had to milk your own cows and stuff? No, my dad's a grain farmer. Um, okay. We did have beef cows when I was a kid, but they're so expensive. Um, that he ended up selling them all. Okay. So we were just uh, corn and soybeans. Very cool. Very cool. So what was the your religious or spiritual upbringing like? I grew up ELCA Lutheran, and I grew up going to the exact same church my entire life. My parents still wow. go to that church. Um, so when I go home, that's the church that I go to. Um, yeah, it's the, it's the only church that I've ever really gone to. Wow. What is... For our listeners, what's ELCA? Like, yeah, what does that stand for? ELCA is the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like to call that they're the more liberal okay. sect of Lutheranism. That's where I was wondering. I couldn't yeah. remember which one. Yeah, they're very uh, progressive and very um, open minded, whereas a lot of the other um, forms of Lutheranism are a little less and it gets less and less there there's a lot of different kinds of lutherans yeah yeah but this one like they'd ordain women they ordain women they ordain queer folk they ordain um yeah so they're uh i kind of grew i grew up in a like the progressive denomination but i also grew up with like small town lutherans so Right. I was like, how is how is this church close by in such a rural area? Yeah. I mean the Lutheran the Lutheran church is big, like they're based the ELCA is based in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So that's part of it. Uh but when you go when you get north, um, in the northern Illinois, Wisconsin, Minnesota regions, the Lutherans are everywhere. Yeah. So that's mm-hmm. kind of part of it because it's that um very like hearty Norwegian stock that they, (laughs) 
that live up in the north. They're all Lutherans and Germans. Right, right, right. That makes sense. Yeah. Makes sense. Wow, that's cool. What's one? Do you, are, do you still uh, go to a Lutheran church? No, actually, I don't. I shame to say I don't go to church as often as I should, but when I do, I go to the Unitarian Church. Okay. Yeah. And you all are in, you're in Madison, Wisconsin. No, you're not. You're in Milwaukee. 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 Yeah, Milwaukee. And I partially go to the Unitarian Church because it's a mile from my house and I can walk there. So you can't beat that. It makes it really easy. (laughs) Um, But there are, there's no shortage of like Lutheran churches and Milwaukee is a very Catholic city. So there's no shortage of Catholic churches. In fact, out my office window, there's a Catholic church like a block away that was built in the late 1800s and it's gorgeous and it's bells ring every day so that's cool yeah awesome um where did you do undergrad i forget (laughs) i went to a lutheran college (laughs) (laughs) it's called augustana college it is in the quad cities which is um four cities on the border of illinois and iowa Mm -hmm. and it's in um rock island illinois and it's pretty small it's like 2500 students Wow. So um, it was like the small, idyllic liberal arts college, mm-hmm. kind of up on a hill. So, but mm-hmm. it was, it was a really good place to go to school. And it was kind of the place that made me into kind of the liberal Lutheran that I became later on. Um, mm-hmm. And I kind of learned more about being Lutheran because of the church itself and mm-hmm. the school being Lutheran. Right. What are some Lutheran theologies that you like really subscribe to or Uh, saved by grace? Mm. So uh, the Lutherans will often talk about being saved by grace. Um, So you're not saved by your works or your deeds. I mean, all those things should come, but you're already in the hands of God at the moment you're put onto this earth, you don't have to do anything Mm. to get there. You are saved by the grace of God. Mm. Um, And I really, I really like that. And I adhere to that. Um, And I've always really, I've always kind of clung to that saved by grace thing. Um, And when I learned, I studied religion in college and I like learned about different denominations and it surprised me some of the different denominations views on like grace and how you get saved and stuff like that. So Mm -hmm. that was a big divider between the Catholics and Protestants, right? Yeah, it was. It was. Yeah. Cause I still wrestle with that. Cause being Episcopalian, I feel like a lot of our theology comes directly from the Catholic tradition more so than the Protestant. So it's funny, the Lutheran and the Episcopalian church are in full communion and they That's actually, right. That's they right. actually have the exact same like liturgy and everything. And when I started, I went to a, um, an Episcopal church for a little while when I lived in Nashville and everything was exactly the same, just oh, like wow. the tune to some of the songs was a little different. And that was about it. Explain to folks what you meant by full communion, because that that is really interesting. I forgot about that. Yeah. So being in full communion, I'm not sure exactly what all it entails, but it means that um, basically they, I want to say like they commune with one another and they're in, they're like have an open table with one another. And I think 
Mm-hmm. For one, it means you can like take communion within that church. Um, yeah. But also I think just being, um, they're in conversation with one another and they're not like theologically like battling against each other either. They're kind of yeah. there to work together. Yeah. Um, and I think this means in terms of ordination, let's say I get ordained in the Episcopal church, if I decide I want to go serve. Yeah, I think it does. You can easily be ordained then into the Lutheran church, I think, by taking. And in fact, I know you can because I met an Episcopal priest who had gone to a Lutheran seminary and was ordained a Lutheran minister and then decided he wanted to be an Episcopal priest. And I think he just took a couple like classes on whatever you need to like qualifications to be Episcopal, an Episcopal priest. And then he switched over. Right. Right. So. Yeah. And then I know I talked to my priest in Nashville when I thought I was going to be in Nashville for a while. Um, I don't think my pre my Bishop would have ordained me um, mm. because of my queerness and probably he has a hard time ordaining women too, but um he, my priest was kind of advising me to think about the Lutheran church if I still felt a call to ordination. And, yeah. There weren't many Lutheran churches in Nashville though. There yeah. were like three. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm so, I feel so Episcopalian that it would break my heart to not follow through with that tradition. So, sure. Yeah. And the yeah. Episcopalians are a little more high church than the Lutherans are. Yeah. Um, the Lutherans keep it a little more low key. Uh-huh. Um and I think that has a lot to do with kind of their like uh, Anglo-Saxon Norwegian heritage and like German heritage of kind of like, there's not a lot of pomp and circumstance right. um, in those countries. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And so you, we went to school together. That's how we know each other. Um, and didn't, we did uh, Claire Brown's spiritual yes. group together, didn't yeah, we? Yeah, we did. Yeah. We did. Yeah. We, we got to know each other more. Yeah. Um, and Claire Brown was on well, a couple weeks ago talking about motherhood and priesthood. We had a great conversation. Um, and did you subscribe to the Linton Reader? I need to put a plug for that. I so I did the Advent one and I haven't yet signed up for the Lent one. So I need to do that because yeah. now I'm going to be a day behind. Yeah. You need to sign up like right now. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> there's a Linton Reader. Yeah, the Advent one was great. So I can only imagine that the Lent one will be just as great. Well, I'm writing in the Lenten Reader, so you, you have to <laughs> sign up. So. Yeah, well, now, now I'll do it right after we get off this call. <laughs> good, good. Um, so did you go straight to uh, Vanderbilt to get your master's after undergrad, or did you do some stuff in between there? Um, I kind of just – so I took a, a victory lap in college, as I like to call it. Um. <laughs> I had transferred to school. I had transferred to Augustana from a community college. Okay. And not all of my credits transferred, unfortunately. And so I had to take some things over, mm-hmm. um, which was really annoying. And Augustana was on the trimester system. So we mm-hmm. had three trimesters instead of two quarters. And so I had to take one extra trimester. Mm-hmm. And then I had, and that ended in like November of 2011. And so then I had all of this time. And so in that time, I applied to grad schools and I applied to um, some volunteer organizations because I thought I wanted to maybe do um, like some volunteering overseas. The Lutheran Church has a um, a thing. It's called the Young Adults in Global Mission. And I thought that maybe I wanted to you would I think you go for one or two years. Mm-hmm. 
and you live in another country. And a lot of times you will teach English or do um, like work in schools over there um, to whatever country you go to. Um, And so I applied to do that and a couple other things. And I uh, didn't end up really getting anything that I wanted to get into. Um, And I got into the Lutheran Volunteer Corps and I was supposed to go live in Atlanta for a year. And then I was going to start at Vanderbilt. I had deferred. Um, and then I got a really cool job um, at a nonprofit being um, an assistant executive director to it was like for a historical nonprofit. And I was just I was just being an interim and filling in for the summer. Mm-hmm. Um, but the stuff that I was doing would have overlapped with my start time for the volunteer corps. And I just felt less and less excited to be a volunteer. And I had some weird mix ups with my paperwork and just they didn't, I didn't feel very welcome. Mm -hmm. So the year that I thought I was going to take off, I ended up just going to Vanderbilt early. Mm -hmm. Um, So it was kind of a yes and a no. I had about six or seven months in between like when I graduated from school and when I finally moved down to Nashville. Yeah. Yeah. What did you focus on? You got the MTS like I did, right? I did, yeah. Did you have a particular focus you were going for? You know, I wish that I had done a better job at that because I never had quite enough credits to get. I never got the carpenter certificate because I missed. I forget what I needed, but I had a couple things that I needed that I couldn't mm-hmm. get. And um, my focus started becoming more clear kind of at the end. I mm-hmm. noticed that I focused a lot on um, pastoral care classes yeah. and a lot on classes that would help me work in like nonprofits later on. Mm-hmm. Um, so I always tell people like when I when people ask me what I focus on, I tell them it, it was kind of like I got a nonprofit degree um, or it was, and I say like I focused on like gender and stuff because I did take a um I took like feminist ethics and a couple other things that I can't remember. Was that Um, the reason why you went into the masters of theological studies for, to eventually work in nonprofit or why did you decide to even go? Yeah. It was to eventually work in nonprofit. I wanted to kind of go into it backwards. I wanted to get the more human side of it instead of the technical side of it. Cause you can go to school for nonprofit management Mm -hmm. and you can learn all about managing a nonprofit. But I was also really interested in learning about, I really wanted to talk about social justice and I wanted to talk about um, ethics and gender and all these other issues that kind of go into, you know, working in a nonprofit and working in the nonprofit world. And I knew that I could get a lot of the experience that I needed from just like internships and working. And that's kind of exactly what happened. Yeah. And it seems like your faith and your relationship with God perhaps um, was interesting to you to study intellectually too, to impact your work. Yeah, it was. And I, um, I had majored in religion in college. I had double majored in religion and history and I uh, couldn't make up my mind on what I wanted to do for grad school. And so I had applied for grad school to both divinity schools and to get my master's of library of science. I wanted to be an archivist. It was either one or the other. <laughs> They're so opposite. I know they're they're completely opposite. Um, but those are the things that I wanted to do, and I couldn't decide because um, when I studied history, a lot of times when I was studying in history, I would it would like 
buff it up to what I was studying in religion. Like I'd be studying the historical time period of the times like certain religious works were being written or whatever. And I would Mm -hmm. see like the two things hand in hand. Um, And really in retrospect, maybe I should have studied religious history, but (laughs) I guess I didn't. (laughs) Um, And I had a really great, um, my advisor in the religion department was just like, he was just, he was the best. And I still keep in contact with him. And he really encouraged me to go to divinity school. And um, he, so I, I, I feel like I almost went on his recommendation and I'm really glad that I did, but I just, Uh there were two just very opposite things. (laughs) Also Vanderbilt didn't need my GRE, which was. That was really nice. It was really nice because I did not do well in the GRE. So never been a test taker. (laughs) Me neither. So that was, I think that might've been like part of it. I was like, well, they don't need my GRE, so I'll probably get in. (laughs) (laughs) Well, to shift a little more theologically, where do um let's see, what do I want to say about this? I either want to ask what made you be a theologian or where do you encounter the divine the most? Which one do you wanna mm, the the divine the most? Where do you encounter the divine the most? Yeah. Where's that showing up for you? Um I think for me so like I said, lately I just I haven't gone to church in a while, so I don't I can't I can't say that I ever have encountered the divine in church either. When I really like come down to it and think about it, um, I was gonna say I don't. I feel like you're feeling a little bad about not going to church, and I, <laughs> I don't want you to think I am in any way condemning you for not going to church. <laughs> no, just every I I tend to be like, oh, maybe, yeah, no, I have this masters of theology, like, and I know all this stuff about theology, like maybe I should be going to church. <laughs> I just they don't I don't know I never get anything out of it at all that's um, okay and I think that I did when I was younger and I think it was good for me and it kind of like pushed my curiosity about the church um I noticed myself discovering the divine especially lately in a lot of things that I read um and not just like works of theology because I don't just sit down and like read theology or philosophy for fun. Um, But I've gotten back, I've always been a big reader and I've gotten back into reading after I kind of, you know, after so many years of college and then grad school, right on top of that, you get very tired of reading things. Um, And I feel like I'm finally starting just in the last, like maybe two years to enjoy books again Mm -hmm. and to enjoy um, the process of writing again and writing creatively. Mm-hmm. Um, and I often will encounter the divine in words and a lot, a lot of times in like works, really beautiful works of fiction or, um, beautiful pieces of poetry. Um, it's always been in words for me, just, mm. I'm, I always feel like the divine is somewhere in the word and in Mm -hmm. the story. Mm -hmm. And I, I've always wanted to eat up stories for as long as I can Mm -hmm. remember. Like I've always been either writing them or reading them. Mm -hmm. Um, Or part of being part of studying history was I wanted to know people's stories. Mm -hmm. Um, And so for me lately, the divine has been in 
in books and in being uh, being near words. And also, I've been working on um, on my own novel and writing my own novel, mm-hmm. and it's a painstaking and like terrible experience. But at the same time, it's like this beautiful experience of producing this story of a person and like pouring out your heart and like creating this thing. And I see, I see the divine for me and like the things that I create and the things that I read and write. Um, and I think just that's what's around me all the time. And so that's what brings me to that. Oh, I love that. I connect with that so much, Julia. Um, you know, I, I kind of left the church for a long time and in college, I decided to study theology as my major because that's me sitting down with a book and reading. And for me, I'm that weirdo that does like to sit down and read dense theology for fun. So, <laughs> um, I was less interested. I mean, I do like people's stories, but I was, I engaged so much with the divine and just like consuming philosophical and theological thought about faith that like is where God spoke to be the most was like wrestling out concepts and ideas like, you know, Luther's, you know, sola fide and yeah. uh, sola scriptura. Yes. Um, so those types of things I ate up. But yeah. I, lo- I love how you named it words, like finding the divine through words. That's just, that's great. Yeah. Cause I mean, it's, I, for me, it often comes in like fiction or poetry but it can come in nonfiction and it came, it came many times in grad school when I was reading works of theology and just like sapping and being like, whoa, wait, I need to read that again. I think that was just like a revelation in my life. Um, and having those conversations after reading those books. Um, but yeah, just words and creating have always been to me, what has, what has felt spiritual and especially lately after I've spent most of my adult life so far in school and just been the last few years that I've been out of school and like discovering myself Mm -hmm. um, outside of the academic world and discovering what I love outside of homework. Mm -hmm. And it is Mm -hmm. still writing and reading and Mm -hmm. being part of those words. Yeah. I remember one time, this is kind of a little tangent, but somebody kind of an evangelical guy I was working with at Notre Dame one time told me that professors and people that like in intellectually engage with their faith too much will lose their faith. If they're too focused on, you know, works that aren't the Bible or whatever. Um, and sure. I was, I was very, offended. I think I've heard that artic- argument before. Yeah. I was very offended and very, upset with him. And I, I said it right away. I was like, this is one of the most important and rich ways I encounter my relationship with God. Like, don't you dare tell me that this is going to hurt my relationship. Like you don't get to say that, you know, I've often felt that. And I felt sometimes sitting in church thinking, I'm so glad I have the knowledge and background for this because I feel like it makes my experience deeper and richer when I'm here and I wish that everyone could have that experience. Yes. Like my favorite class, I tell people this all the time at Notre Dame, was the theology of the mass, liturgical theology. Ooh. It was my favorite class because it made mass come alive to me. 
like everything like was just glistening with meaning when I went back into that church. And that's what made me fall in love with the church again. Yeah, I could see, I could see that. That would be really cool. Yeah. Yeah. So thanks, uh, doctor. What was his name? Fagerberg. Thanks, man. (laughs) (laughs) He was the man. Uh, what else? What do you, what's important for you about being a woman doing things with theology? Hmm. I don't know. So I was thinking about this and I grew up, I never felt like my parents ever told me like, you can't do this because you're a girl or whatever. But looking back on it, so I grew up with a really, really strict grandfather. He was actually, he founded the Church of Christ in our town. Oh, my. Um, Yeah. And he was like, I guess that he would have been a Church of Christ minister. Um, But we always went to the Lutheran church. And so I never really understood what the Church of Christ was. I don't know if I ever went to church with him. But he had very strict ideas on what it meant for women to be in the church. And even as I was going, he died when I was in divinity school, but even as I was getting a degree in religion, as I was getting a master's in religion, he never acknowledged me and never acknowledged that I had that, I had that knowledge um, because that wasn't what I was supposed to have. And so I always think about that when I think about me being like a woman in religion and a woman in theology um, and about like how I never, I never felt like, I never felt like my parents weren't telling me I couldn't do things, but there's always this underlying uh, thing of like, Oh, you're that's, that's cute that you want to do that, but Right. You know, it doesn't really mean anything or that's cute that you think you want to be a pastor or um, whatever else. And so for me now, being a woman in theology is kind of pushing, pushing the boundaries of what it means to be religious, I think. Mm. Um, and because often, like I said, I don't I don't go to church, but I still consider myself um, religious and um so me being able to push the boundaries and say like, no, you know, I can still talk about this. And I still have the authority to talk about this just because I'm not doing it in the, tr- in the traditional way Absolutely. that you are. Yes. Um, and so I think that's really part of it. Um, and just, I've I just always, I wanted to know, I was so curious about my faith for so long and it was really a battle with me because also um, as a kid, you know, you want to go where your friends are going. So I followed a friend to a very religious and evangelical youth group where everyone was going um, because all my friends were there. And there was a lot of talk about purity and a lot of talk about, you know, the Jesus is your boyfriend movement and Ugh. whatever else. And it scarred me for a really, really, really long time. And so part of my theology now is like a theology of body and a theology of like living into your divine body and like knowing, knowing yourself because I felt like I didn't know myself until maybe I was a senior in college and really like, got comfortable with myself and my body because I had for so long 
felt so ashamed of it because of what this church and this youth group taught me because I, I really took it to heart. Um, And I made friends with some evangelicals in college who also really took it to heart. Um, And it took me a very long time to shake that. So just pushing the boundaries of what it means to be a woman studying religion and what it means to like be religious and, you know, be in tune with your own body. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Where does Sophia fit in to that? Oh, I don't or not. No, I think she does. <laughs> um, I notice so I notice myself um often when I go home to my parents' church. So their church over the years has had um it's a small town and you know there are you'd be surprised how many churches there are for a 15,000 person town. <laughs> um and so they they lose and gain members every so often. And I found myself after starting divinity school and like really starting to take on and think about God in a feminine role, um, like changing words when I was in church with my parents and changing father to mother and changing he to she um, and just kind of like pushing those boundaries like that. Um, I can remember sitting in my very first, one of my very first religion classes in college and us talking about the concept of God in, I'm trying to figure out how I want to say it, the concept of God in like a, as a feminine. And I remember being really offended by it at first and being like, well, that's just not how it's done. and. Um, then learning more and more about it and learning more and more about myself and thinking like, wait, I don't, I want to have like this personal relationship. And for me, like God as Sophia and Sophia, um, I think about it. I don't, I think about it in like a really personal way of like, I don't, I don't know. It's hard to, it's hard to explain. I'm really, I'm really not doing well at this question. That's <laughs> okay. It's okay. But it opened up a new way for you to think about God. Yeah, it did. <laughs> that was maybe more helpful or healthy. I think it was more healthy because I think the idea that I had about God at that time was the almighty smiter of right. like, he's gonna, if you do something wrong, he's always watching and like, you are going to go to hell and like it opened up this more delicate way to think about God mm-hmm. in a way that I had always kind of like in the back of my mind been thinking because mm. there would be times when I would get, we would be taught things in Sunday school and I would think, yeah, but wouldn't God have done this? Like, I think it was like, we were talking maybe about like creation or something. And I just thought, well, wouldn't, why would does it have to, why do we have to take this so literally like as like a, third grader thinking about this and like well wouldn't it like maybe god invented like saying like god invented science and like i I was always at odds with myself but always like the idea of god being like the almighty smiter came like beat out everything else that i was thinking until i kind of got that idea of like a a softer god i guess 
it's almost sounds like it wasn't natural to you, like your first inclination or how you wanted to interact with the divine. Yeah. Like how people were telling me to interact with the divine didn't feel natural, but I did it anyways. And that's what, so it took me a long time to like shake that feeling. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I still catch myself doing that Mm -hmm. of being like, Oh, like I'm going to get in trouble for this or like God's watching me for this. And I'm just like, no, God's probably not. And just, I like having to like still think about us like a softer God, because I would often think about this like hard, angry God that was very vengeful. Yeah. I think that's a big reason why I chose to not be a part of church for so long. It was probably like a good 10 year period from high school all the way until grad school. So that was a lot like good 10 years. Um, and I think part of my reason was I wanted to shake off that old, my old theologies that were very similar to what you're describing of this evangelical youth group. I was a part of something very similar and I wanted, like I stopped reading my Bible because I, I wanted to shed myself of those old ideologies that made no sense to me and they didn't hold true in real life and no one was giving me the right answers. So I was like, well, I'm just going to stop going. Right, right. And for me, I think I was like, I think I might have had the opposite reaction. I was like, well, now I need to go study it so I can figure it out. Well, I think I had, that was my reaction too, but I didn't want to be a part of church. I was like, I'll, I'll figure it out over here in, in the academy and I'll leave the church over here and I'll separate the two. But then once I got in, you're talking about social justice and is a reason why you went to grad school. I think that's very much why I wanted to get that degree too, was like, I want to work on social problems, but not inside the church. Yeah. Right. I want to be able to explain like what the heck's going on because the church is causing so many issues. Right. Like purity culture and, you know, treating women like they're second class citizens, you know, like I'm not, I don't, I want to change that. But it wasn't until I got the Arcus grant and I, got placed in a church to work, (laughs) did I even open my mind to the possibility of being part of church again? So, I mean, but I think having such a long time away from it was helpful to me to strip myself of, of those icky feelings about God as the mean asshole. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think for me, those feelings got stripped when I like started a well, I think partially like going to church at in at my college, which um, kind of like they the campus ministries group was very strong when I was in college, and they were very. It was a very liberal like, it was just the it formed a lot of my ideas on theology in a very good way, uh-huh. um, and it was a very different idea of church for me because I had been going to the same church my entire life, or I'd been going to this friend's youth group. So until then, and I had been really, I was really into church when I was a kid. Like I was into it. (laughs) It was like my thing. Um, until I went to college and started worshiping in a different way. Um, they did, so our campus ministry in college did a chapel every Wednesday night. Um, and it wasn't mandatory or anything, but my friends and I would often go and it was more of just kind of a, I want to call it like a prayer or reflection service. It was at like nine o'clock at night. We did everything so late at night there. <laughs> um, 
and it was communion and like contemplation. And it was this big, beautiful chapel that's up on a hill. And then it's in the second floor of a building and it's called Ascension Chapel. And it was just this big, like kind of Gothic looking chapel. Um, And they would turn the lights, like they would dim the lights at the end of the night. And we would just sit in the dark in this church and like, it was the most, I still like look back at it as like the most holy experience Mm. I've ever had. And it was like, I never missed a Wednesday because for one, I was with so many of my friends who I loved and then having that experience and there's like, that was like where I felt the divine was like fitting in this dark, silent church. So it was just beautiful. Thanks so much, Julia, for sharing your story with us today. I can't wait to talk about her story blog in the next episode. Her story invites all female identifying individuals to tell their stories. We all have something to say, and we all have experiences worth sharing. Her story wants to get every woman writing, talking, and sharing her story, because every story matters. Tune in next week, y'all. We have another good one on the line. Peace. Peace.